let's pray for the preaching of the word that we really do rejoice in what God has done regardless of the person in this church. As we have already sung, Lord, not by might, not by power, by your spirit. And I cry out for your spirit. That you're, we need your spirit in this moment because without your spirit, it's going to be words that go out and disappear. But Lord, if your spirit comes and, and, and dwells us and, we are, and I'm able to preach, we're able to listen for your still small voice, that's where power comes from. All from you, Lord. We want to glorify you in this moment. Anoint this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in the seventh week of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. This chapter is called Grow Into an Emotionally Mature Adult. Talked about that during Sunday school class. And I want to begin with a quote from Peter Scazzaro in this chapter of the book. He says, one of the greatest gifts we can give the world is to be a community of emotionally healthy adults who love well. And then Tim Keller, I was, I've been reading Tim Keller's book on Proverbs. Uh, he talks about Proverbs 11, 11, which says, Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. Tim Keller says, if believers were simply living life as they should, it would create such public good that those around them would rejoice in their prosperity and success. Proverbs 11, 11 tells us that believers should be blessing the city. I think the true same is true for our country, that believers should be blessing their country. If you look at the state of our country and society at this particular moment, as I was thinking about this and preparing for this sermon, to be honest with you, I think that's a little bit of an indictment against the church. My conclusion is, and I don't come to this lightly, but my conclusion is that the church is not healthy enough to affect change in American society. The church is not healthy enough, emotionally healthy enough, spiritually healthy enough to affect consistent change in our society. I think that there's a real chance that in many ways we have lost track of our identity. Without identity, there can be no maturity in Christ. So we are going to be looking at the book of Galatians, specifically chapter 2. Paul is preaching to the Gentiles. To belong to God's multi-ethnic family, we must, in faith, believe in what Jesus did for us. He perfectly obeyed the law. He did what we could not do. He was perfect in his obedience to God. And he suffered the curse of sin by dying on the cross for all who disobeyed God, namely every single person, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is the good news the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? So let's peek into the story of Galatians, Galatians 2. Let's stand and read this scripture together. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. 
But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. No one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through law, and Christ died for no purpose. Amen. Amen and amen. You may be seated. That is packed with all kinds of things. How can one pray, preach on this? Lord have mercy. Paul preaching to the Gentiles. You're not justified by the law, but what Jesus Christ has done. My main idea for today is that maturity flows from a clear understanding of our identity in Jesus Christ. This maturity enables us to love others well. And the first point I want to make, there is an outline on your bulletin if you want to follow along and take notes. I want to discuss Peter's bad behavior before the Gentiles. A passage refers to him as Cephas. Um, That is another name for the apostle Peter. And then I want to talk about justified by faith and united with Christ. And then finally, uniquely created by God to love others. First, Peter's bad behavior. Christianity started as a Jewish messianic movement in Jerusalem, and quickly there arose this subset of Jewish Christians. They're known in Scripture as Judaizers, in our Scripture today as the Circumcision Party. These these people, these Jews, believed that Gentiles had to become Jewish before they could make a conversion to Christianity. Gentiles had to get circumcised. They had to eat according to the dietary restrictions of the Torah. For example, not to eat pork. And then they must strictly follow Sabbath restrictions and requirements. Paul called to be an apostle to the Gentiles through the vision of the exalted Jesus Christ said no to this belief. There is no ultimate distinction of Jew and Gentile in the new family of God. Gentiles absolutely do not need to obey these elements of the Torah to be proven in a right relationship with God the Father. Instead, all must believe in the work of Jesus Christ to be saved and to be a part of this new family of God. That is why the whole book of Galatians was written, to show that there is no other gospel. Amen? Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 7 says it very keenly and very uh, acutely, I am astonished, Paul says to the Galatians, that you so quickly desert him who called you 
in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Very clearly, there is no other gospel. To believe in Jesus Christ is to be saved. And Peter, through a vision, if you remember in Acts 10, through this vision of this sheet that came down with all this unclean food, God from heaven says, Peter, eat. Peter says, I've never eaten unclean food. I I won't. He said, don't call unclean what I have established as clean. Peter understood very clearly that he was referring to the Gentiles because the Lord called him to go um, to um, to the house of a Gentile. He's saying, and then later on in Acts chapter 10, if you remember, the Holy Spirit comes down upon the Gentiles, just as it did to the Jews. The message of God is very clear. Once Jesus rose again from the dead, it is by faith in him that we are saved. This includes the Jews. It also includes the Gentiles. So Peter took that command. He entered into fellowship with Gentiles. He did what he never did before. He had fellowship with them. He ate with them. He did so in Antioch, which is the story of what we're talking about here in Galatians chapter 2. But then there was this pressure from these Judaizers from Jerusalem. A lot of this circumcision party was making its way to Galatia, telling of this false gospel. And so Peter, under pressure, stood back from the Gentiles and refused to have supper, have food with them, have fellowship with them anymore. He broke the very commandment of God himself that says, you can eat this food now. You can celebrate with your Gentile brothers. He disobeyed and shrunk back. And Paul says, I opposed him to his face. You see, Peter lost sight of his identity in Jesus Christ. Therefore, he was unable to love well those whom God called him to serve, namely the Gentiles in that moment. Peter was not emotionally healthy in that particular moment. He had completely lost sight of the gospel. He had completely lost sight of who he was in Jesus Christ. And then the Galatians followed suit. Many Jews, Christian Jews, followed suit, and they began to distance themselves from the Gentiles. What does that say to us today? Just pick a group. How do we build up this wall between us and another group of people? How do we start setting up these commandments, these loops that another person from another group must jump? Let's take the most obvious one, the young adults, people of the next generation. We are called very clearly, and we've been talking about it a lot. How do we reach the next generation? I'm thankful for all the young adults who attend this church. But many have left us. Let's just be honest. It's it's a little bit of an indictment. They're saying, what they're saying to us is very clear. That I don't feel like I have a place in this church anymore. Now, I don't know what's in your heart when you consider that, but what often is in my heart is, Well, what's wrong with them? 
not that we should be saying, what's wrong with them? The first question should be, what's wrong with us? What hurdles are we putting in place that make it difficult for the next generation to be a part of this church? It's a hard truth. It's a hard reality that we have to wrestle with. If this church is going to make it into the future, and we are wrestling with it by the grace of God, we are not the only church that's dealing with this. The churches all over this country are struggling with the same thing. How can the church of Jesus Christ be relevant to the next generation? We have to solve this puzzle, this challenge before us, and and not set up these things. We must not shrink back in fellowship from the people of the next generation. And that's just one group of people. Choose whatever group you want. What, What commandments, what unspoken rules are we putting in place that says you don't belong here? It's, it's hard to face this truth, but we have to deal with something. We have to, Pastor Larry talks about this. We must deal with our own power, our own position, our own preference. We must be willing to give these things up to achieve our mission, especially to the next generation. It goes for, it goes for race. It goes, I mean, you could just name group after group after group. It reminded me when we were in Japan this summer. We were there for the Unbound Prayer Ministry. We, many of you supported us in prayer and finances. We thank you for that. Our main leader in Japan is a woman named Sanai. And Sanai was our main translator. She took us around. So we were in deep fellowship with her for two weeks. And, and we were just talking about these kind of things. And Sanai just blurted out, I don't want to sing American songs anymore. I want to sing Japanese songs. This is a Japanese woman in her own country talking about the church in her country. You see what happens. We go and we import our culture into their culture. And she she says, I I don't mind American songs. They're great. But I want to sing Japanese songs. You can see the ramifications for all of this. You can see how it, by by its very nature, it separates us from people that we are called to serve. So we must wrestle with this. We need Paul, like he did with Peter, sometimes to oppose us directly to our face and say, have you stopped believing in the gospel? Is your identity no longer in Jesus Christ? Because there is no Jew or Gentile in the family of God, Peter. There is no black and white. There is no young and old in the family of God. Amen? And so as a church, we have to stop acting as if it's so. Peter's bad behavior. I must admit, I'm a fan of Peter. Because I see myself in Peter so often, don't you? He just messes up so many times. And God is so gracious with him so many times. Good behavior, that is love, flows from a correct understanding of the gospel. It flows from a correct view of God's law. Later in Galatians, Paul talks about the law in the Old Testament, before Jesus comes. The law has this negative effect. It serves as this big magnifying glass looking at our lives, examining every portion of our lives. It says, guilty. 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 But it also has this positive feature it had in the Old Testament of serving. Paul says it acted like a guardian to keep the people of God in line until Jesus, the Messiah, comes. 
Jesus comes and establishes righteousness. He justifies us. And there's all this summary. This is a dense, detailed passage. I wish I had time to go in more and more. Let me summarize. This is um, from the New American Commentary. It does a great job of summarizing verses 15 through 19. What Paul is saying, despite... Paul's saying, despite the great advantages we Jewish Christians have enjoyed as heirs of the commonwealth of Israel and the great blessings we have received from hearing and knowing the law of God from our youth up, we too, no less than the Gentiles, have been placed in a right standing with God only through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Paul preaches the gospel to the Galatians to get them back on track get them back to their identity in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. How glorious it is. He talks about this great theological truth, justification. Justification. We have been declared in a right relationship with God. Not by anything that we did. Not by perfectly following the law of God, or even, by the way, following our own laws but by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He lived perfectly for us. The only one who ever did every aspect of the law for us. That big magnifying glass of the law, when it examined Jesus' life, it said righteous, 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 righteous. And then he became the perfect sacrifice for our sins on the cross, dying the death that we were meant to die, so that we were acquitted of our guilt before God the Father. Amen? Amen. This is a glorious truth. We have this amazing defense attorney. His name is Jesus Christ. And he has never, ever lost a case. He has never lost a person that he died for. This great Defense attorney, just as the gavel is about to go and hit the block and declare us guilty, Jesus Christ says, Your Honor, there's been a sacrifice for this sin. You're a just God. You're a just Father. He must go free. She must go free because I died for her. I died for him. I lived perfectly for this person. So you, It's a glorious truth. We need to remind ourselves of it over and over and over again because that's where love comes from. To see Jesus Christ and everything that he did for us on the cross, how he loved us. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news. It's actually the national news. I saw it on Good Morning America. There's this New Jersey woman. Her name is Alexandra. She was texting and driving. She rear-ended a car that struck a pedestrian woman and killed that pedestrian. And they were commenting on it. And right before hitting the car, Alexander received a text from her sister-in-law about dinner options. She was apparently having dinner with her sister-in-law. Her sister-in-law wrote this text. It simply read, Cuban, American, or Mexican, you pick one. Authorities believe that Alexander was in the process of texting back the word Mexican. Before the accident, all she could type was M-E. 
she struck the car that hit the pedestrian and killed that woman. She was convicted of second-degree vehicular homicide. She will spend maybe up to 10 years in jail. And so there was Robin Roberts, who, by the way, I love. I'm a fan of Robin Roberts. She's sitting there with Michael Strahan to her right, George Stephanopoulos to her left. And she was just kind of shaking her head. How can people just be white? She's like, you know, you ever drive down a highway and you look over and there's somebody texting? She's like, how can they do that? So Robin Roberts, at that point, had become judge and jury. She had chosen one thing that apparently she didn't have a problem with. Apparently she doesn't text and drive. She chose one thing, became judge and jury at that moment, and declared this woman guilty. Everyone else is texting and driving. Now, we all know texting and driving is not a good thing. Can we just, those of us who are drivers, can we just raise our hands and say, I'm going to do my best not to text and drive. It's so easy. It is so easy to do it. And like I said, you know, Robin's like, you know, shaking her head. And then that was that. That's not what Jesus did. He is the only one who could do what Robin Roberts did in that moment. He's the only one who could shake his head and go, I can't believe those who text and drive. But that's not what he does. He says, I will take this woman's place. And I will serve those 10 years. Now, if you commit a crime on earth, she has to go to jail. She has to be punished for her crime on earth. But if Alexandra is a Christian, she will never pay the penalty for the guilt of this crime. Jesus Christ has paid this penalty if this woman is a Christian. He has paid the penalty for every single one of us. This is the glorious truth of the gospel. May we never go to the right of it. May we never go to the left of it. Always in the lane of the gospel. Because once we're in the lane of the gospel, we know how to love others well. If Peter was doing that, he would have never shrunk back from the Galatians. If we are living in the lane of love, if we are living in the lane of our identity in Jesus Christ, we will not shrink away from the next generation. We will go right to them and declare the glories of this message that I'm preaching to you today. The message going back to what Paul has preached to the Galatians. The only gospel that there is. Galatians 2.20, I've been united, I've been united with Jesus Christ. I have died the death he died. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. That includes the law of God, and includes any law or commandment or hoops or hurdles that you come up with yourself, either for yourself or for another human being. You have been crucified with Christ, and you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. He lives in you. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? So when Jesus Christ, and just think about everything this has to do with how this, what this means for your identity. When Jesus was baptized, there was a voice of God heard from heaven and said, this is my son. 
whom I love. With him I am well pleased. At the moment you identified with Jesus Christ, you said yes to what he did, to his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection. And once you were reunited with Christ, the same is true of you. How glorious is that? This is my son, Larry. This is my daughter, Amy. And I can go through every single one of you. God says, I am, I love them. With them, I am well pleased. God is well pleased with you. Can you see how all this leads to your identity in Christ? In that secure identity, how that leads to maturity and faith and love. Galatians 1, 1, Paul talks about his own identity. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul uniquely created to love the Gentiles and defend them as legitimate members of God's family. I don't know about you, but as a Gentile, I'm really thankful for that. Amen? What is your identity? Not only identity, but what is your calling? You know, I have struggled with identity most of my life. The truth be told. Who am I? What am I called to do on this earth? And I I don't know, because people have commented, I don't know if you noticed, but there's something strange going on with my preaching. People are like, that was, that was a great sermon, brother. Like, something's going on with you. What's going on? The only thing that I can tell you is there's been a lot of suffering in our lives. But God has been with us the whole time, transforming us, making us new. What it comes down to is I'm just getting more and more comfortable with who I am and what I've called, been called to do. I am called to be the associate pastor of New Life Church. For so many years, I wanted to be the man, the pastor, I went off to do that, left New Life to do that. It didn't work out too well. And then not terribly long ago, I was coming back as an associate. God said to me, Tim, I want you to be an associate pastor. I have made you to be an associate pastor. Now dig in and do what I've called you to do. And don't worry about the rest. Focus on your garden. Don't worry about somebody else's garden. Focus on your garden. And I've done that. By the grace of God. Here's another group for you. I talked about young adults. Here's another group, pastors. The reason I'm bringing it up is the Unbound uh, Prayer Team last week, we went to the Unbound Prayer Leadership Conference. People from all over the nation, people from all the world coming together to talk about a lot of which our identity in Jesus Christ. I don't know what it is, but I've always had a friendship since the beginning days of my my ministry with Catholic Christians. And I've just always shared that freely. And as I shared it in Protestant groups, sometimes even here at New Life, people look at me like I have three heads. Now, I know there's a lot of theological differences between what we believe as our Catholic Christians. And I I don't try to push that under the rug. Maybe I just happen to be in fellowship with these really mature Catholics. I don't know. 
But the Unbound Ministry, which is the ministry of the heart of the Father, a ministry called Heart of the Father, they came up with this prayer model. And that's what it is. It's just a model of prayer. Another tool in the toolbox. The people of Heart of the Father Ministry in the last five years have done more to help me understand my identity in Jesus Christ than anyone. They have this firm understanding of who they are in Jesus Christ. There is no barrier. There is no barrier between, between Protestant and Catholic. If you believe that Jesus Christ died for you and you live and he lived perfectly obedient for you, and that's what they believe. At least the Catholic Christians I'm hanging out with. They have done more to help me with my identity than almost anybody in the last five years. And I celebrate that. And we're having this glorious time together talking about who we are in Jesus Christ. And we're, we're celebrating, we're dancing, we're, we're praising God. The music is wonderful. And I just, have been, I just was enjoying myself. And this woman came up to me. She met me two years ago at, at another one of these leadership conferences. And she said, you're different than you were two years ago. What's up, What's up with you? You're different. There's something about you. You're more confident in yourself. Well, that's almost right. Actually, I'm just more confident of Jesus in me these days. But she saw the difference. And that's the difference that only Jesus Christ could make in me. Because in my flesh, I am no different than Jesus. I will separate from people easily if I don't, they don't line up with what I believe. So something new is going on. Something new, I'm sure, is going on with you. Who are you today in Jesus Christ? And what is he calling you to do? I don't often quote Dolly Parton in sermons, you know. But I'm going to do it today because this is just, this is a gem. Figure out who you are. Figure out who you are. I'll add this. Figure out who you are in Jesus Christ and then do it on purpose. Because he will lead you into your calling. Another quote from Jean Vanier. He's the founder of L'Arche, an international community for people with developmental disabilities and those who assist them. He says, love is to reveal the beauty of another person in themselves. I think that's a marvelous description of love. I really do. Sometimes we think of love as being nice to a person. It's okay, that's, that's a part of love. Sometimes we think of love as serving another person's needs. That is definitely a part of love. But what about calling out their identity? What about calling out their destiny in Jesus Christ? What about looking at a person and saying, this is what I see in you. This is what I see Jesus Christ doing in you. To me, that is maturity. We are calling out Christ-like maturity in that person. I don't know if you've seen it, but Pastor Larry has done this. He's done it for me. There's been a number of times, specifically even the last sermon I preached, which, you know, it took a little bit of, took a little nerve for me to be able to kind of put my heart out before you. And Pastor Larry just honored me in front of you. He called out Jesus Christ in me. Now, we could say, you've got to be careful about pride. But when another person is calling out Jesus, what he sees in you, 
the Jesus he sees in you, we don't have to be worried too much about pride. Because I just knew it was true. It's not a boast. How could it be a boast? I didn't do anything. To any degree you find power and comfort and love or anything in this sermon, it's because the Holy Spirit is moving. Yes, the Holy Spirit is using me. But he is, it's the Holy Spirit, all glory to God. And Pastor Larry called that out. And it has just made me feel way more comfortable in the pulpit these days. So I want to return the favor. I want to call out some Christ and Jesus to some people. First, I would like to thank the deacons, the deaconesses, the helpers of the deacons. If you're a part of any of those groups, can you stand up, please? Thank you, Tom. A deacon at heart, right? Amen. Luke, deacon at heart. Uh, you, can, you can sit down. The other deacons, I'm sure, are serving in the building right now. And that's the point. Deacons do things that are often behind the scenes. And far too often, it's, it's hard for somebody that, that works behind the scenes. Because sometimes it's calling out Christ in them doesn't get done. I want to thank you for the hard work and labor that the deacons, deaconesses, deacon helpers do, often behind the scenes, never getting credit for it. And I want to honor you today and say thank you very much. Keep at it. Keep at it, going after your identity in Christ. Thank you so much. And then there's one other person that I want to thank today. I want to honor this person. This has been in my heart, on my heart for a long time now, I'm just waiting for the right opportunity. I want to thank Manny Hackman. Manny, brother, I know this is going to be slightly embarrassing for you, but wave your hand. Just, there you go, brother. You don't even know what I'm thanking him for yet. We're going to clap for you again, but Manny does so many things behind the scenes. I was talking about unbound prayer. He is one of my favorite intercessors. When you lead unbound prayer, you have two intercessors. He's one of my go-to guys for intercession. And last weekend at the unbound conference, we prayed for a man, a priest named David. And the intercessor doesn't say anything until the end. They just pray. Father David was set free in his spirit and all the things that haunted him for years and years and years. And a lot of that was because of Manny's prayer. We're thinking very seriously about having an unbound prayer conference right here at this church again. The last time, Manny did so many things behind the scenes. Right now he serves at Omni Christian School as one of the main people you meet when you come to the Lord. Manny, brother, I just wanted to thank you personally for all the things that you do. I know often it can be a struggle. It's a struggle, like I said, when you're behind the scenes. But I want to call out Christ in you. I want to thank Christ for all the things that he does in you. Thank you, brother. You mean a lot to me. I love you very much. We thank you. We could keep going. I could, we should be able to do this with every single person. And maybe we'll have a service where we just call that out. But look for the people who need that word. Look for the people who need that, that you're thankful for them, what God is doing in their lives and through them. So here's the last question. 
I want you to think of one person that you're going to honor this week. I want you to think of one person. It could be in the church. Maybe it's outside of New Life Church. I want you to think of one person you're going to call out Christ in them, saying, this is what I see God doing in you. And, and your job is to thank that person. Okay? There is no other gospel. As long as we're on this road, our identity, our true identity in Christ will be called out. And then I think maturity is right behind that. We're talking about maturity. It's all about who we are in Christ and what he is calling us to do. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that our identity is firmly in place because of what you did on the cross. We love you, Lord. Keep us on that narrow path. Keep us always coming to the truth of the gospel, never veering to the right, to the left, to another gospel. Thank you that we are in Christ, that you are well pleased with us because of that truth, because of that reality. We praise you for it in Jesus' name.